0: for our personal relationship with the Lord. We try to do everything we can do to help you grasp the concept of not only what the Bible is all about, but how it applies in your own life that you can use it. What good is the Bible in your life and my life if it doesn't work for you? And I heard many, many, many years ago, and I've heard this many different places where pastors will tell you that, you know, reading the Bible will solve your problems. And of course, that's not true. Reading the Bible alone will not solve your problems, but applying what the Bible says to your life will solve your problems, and that's what we try to do here. And I have broken down the book of Romans for our folks, just like we do every other book in the Bible, showing them how it's a natural outline that's easy to follow and study. Uh, I've showed them how that every section in Romans has had a different emphasis and how it applies to different aspects of our Christian life. Some of the great doctrinal teachings in the Bible that really everything else in the New Testament for your life and my life uh, that we have to follow is founded in the book of Romans and that's where we start. So we've been coming through those sections and we got into chapter 14 a couple of months ago. And uh, I told you how that chapter 14 deals with how we get along with each other and how we should get along with each other. Chapter 14 and chapter 15 are probably the two greatest chapters in all of the Bible that show you and I uh, really what the bottom line of of a Christianity is, and that is uh, to help each other and to encourage each other. And so we've been talking about our relationship with each other, talking about the unity of the body and the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, We are to be able to solve problems as Christians instead of cause them. You know, there should be nothing that two Christians cannot work out together. You got the Holy Spirit of God living inside you and uh, all of the things that the Word of God and the principles. There should be nothing that two Christians can't sit down and work out. But you know how that goes. And I've been talking about how to, out of chapter 14, it's teaching us to choose our battles. It's not about who's right or wrong. It's about God getting the honor and glory out of everything in our life, including the bad situations that we have to go through. You'll remember the last three weeks, right in the middle of this chapter, we talked about the great doctrine of the judgment seat of Christ. And I kind of took three weeks and laid that great doctrine out because everybody needs to understand if you're saved about the day that you and I are going to stand before the Lord and give an account of our liberty in Christ. And now we're going to today close chapter 14, and next week we'll move into chapter 15, which is an incredible chapter unto itself. But I want to begin reading here in Romans chapter 14, verses 19, down through the end of the chapter, and then we'll make some comments. Here's what it says. Let us, therefore, follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify uh, another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things uh, indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine or anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now, Father, we thank you today and we we ask you to help us as we put this chapter together and lay out all of these great concepts that we need to see today. Thank you, Father, for those that have come. Thank you for this, our church, and for the Word of God that you've given us, for the visitors that are here today. May their lives be blessed. We pray you'll bless the rest of this day with all of the work that has to go in for such a good day tomorrow. And that, Father, you'll bless us tomorrow and give us a good day of fellowship around you and each other, that we may affirm our love toward each other in the things that we do. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For a sake we ask it. Amen. Now, you know now in chapter 14 that he's been using the issue of, of somebody who's a vegetarian and thinks that they can't eat meat because there's something spiritually wrong with eating meat versus somebody who understands that you can eat anything. And the whole chapter has been built around a weaker Christian who does not understand that all things that God has cleansed, that you can eat anything that you can thank God for, versus someone who is a weaker Christian uh, who does not understand that. And the whole concept of this chapter is that if you and I are are mature spiritually, and we understand that we can eat anything that won 't eat us first, so to speak, that we because we have that liberty and we understand that, if I see a younger Christian who does not have the grace or the faith to be able to do that, i 'm not to let that become a stumbling block for them, and that really is the concept he uses food. And he uses things that we do, but it's a much longer, larger concept than that, as we've been talking about in chapter 14. And today, we come down to probably the single greatest concept about your life and my life. The single greatest concept in the context of this chapter, where really not only pulls the whole chapter together, but really sets down the number one thing in our life that we ought to have. And uh, we're going to talk about the concept of faith today. Now look at verse 19 and 20 and just follow along here as we move down. I want you to understand these verses because I know many of you are putting notes in your Bible here. And the context, as you know now, is Christians dealing with other Christians. Verse 19 and 20 says this. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace. I've told you about that we're not where to choose our battles. There are some things in churches that you have to take a stand on. There are some church things in churches and ministry that you have to, if it's a controversy, it needs to be dealt with. But many times, many times, people get into the biggest messes over the littlest things that you're ever going to get into that really don't matter. And this is what this chapter is saying. It is saying, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace. Because at the end of the day, the bottom line in ministry, as we all know, is Reconciliation. Verse 20 says, for meat, something that you eat. And here again, going back to somebody understanding what they can eat and somebody else not wanting to eat it. For meat, destroy not the work of God. For it is good, verse 21, neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine or, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Now, just to sum this up, you remember that I gave you five things in this chapter that you should remember about anything that you and I do that kind of put this chapter into context before we get to the last verses here that deal with faith. And I told you this a couple of weeks ago. Five things you want to remember about your liberty in Christ, dealing with younger Christians, and watching yourself. As we talked about, the Bible says, "...let not your good be evil spoken of, abstain from all appearances of evil." And five things that I gave you that you ought to ask yourself or at least consider yourself before you engage in them. First of all, I told you that before you do something, you ought to consider uh, what you do as its influence on younger Christians. And I gave you the verse Romans fourteen seven. The second thing, before we do something, we should make sure that it's, it's not a good thing that's done in the wrong manner. And that'd be Romans chapter 14, verse 12. The third thing, before you and I do something that, and this is what we've talked about the last couple of weeks, we need to look at it in light of the judgment seat of Christ, Romans chapter 14, verse 10. Then the fourth thing, before we do something uh, right or wrong, we need to make sure uh, that it's not a stumbling block to a younger Christian. That'll be Romans 14, 21. And then the last thing we talked about before you do something, the Bible says, and this is what we're going to focus on today, whatsoever is not of faith is sin, and that's Romans chapter 14, verse 23. Now, it's in these last two verses that close out this chapter that I want to focus today. Verse 22 simply says this, it asks the question, hast thou faith? Somebody says, well, yes, I do. I'm a mature Christian. I've been around for a while. I know my Bible. I have a pretty good handle on life and things. Well, then he says, hast thou faith? And he says, if you do, keep it between you and God. What he's saying is don't condemn yourself with what you can do because you're a stronger Christian. What he's simply saying is there that if you have faith, not only in just eating what we're talking about here, but if you have faith to trust God for most of the things in life, or maybe all the things in life, that's a good thing, but allow that between you and God. Don't take a weaker Christian and beat them over the head because maybe they're not where they're at spiritually. We know in our church that, or I know, and many of you know, that when somebody comes into this church, there's all kinds of spiritual levels. Some of you have been around for seven or eight years now and you uh, have been through the Bible Institute and you've really got a good handle on the Bible. Some of you have been around half that time or so and you're beginning to put it all together. Some of you just came in the door in the last year, maybe the last couple of months, and you're putting it all together. We don't care where you're at. What we want to do is help you get where God wants you to be. But we can't ever forget that because we may know the Bible and have a good handle on the Bible... We can't ever forget that there's people around us all the time that may not understand the Bible like we do. There isn't a time that I don't preach on Sunday morning, and boy, this is certainly true on Thursday night, that I'm not aware of my crowd as far as what I say and how I say it, that I don't cause some young Christian uh, to say something that they may not grasp or understand. This is why years ago... I came to the conclusion that if you're going to be a good pastor and you're going to really minister your people, your people have to have access to you. And that's why I've had a standard policy all of my ministry that if you want to spend an hour a week, come over to my home or an hour every other week or once a month or every other month or once a year or on your birthday or Christmas and New Year's, I don't care. To come over and sit down and say, you know, help me understand this. What does this mean? Many of you do that, and I think that you see in an hour's time, you go through five or six things. You probably accomplish in an hour what would take you maybe six months to figure it out on your own, just because you have that concentrated time. It's my job, our job here, to help you get to the point where you grow. So he says, if you have faith, keep it to yourself. That's between you and God. Don't condemn yourself in something that you allow. In other words, don't use that Liberty to help make another young Christian struggle. And then he says in verse 23, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. Boy, I'll tell you what, there's where you got to watch some of them words in the Bible. Now, I've heard people say, well, if you don't eat, if you don't do stuff by faith, you're damned and you're going to go to hell. That's not talking about the damnation of hell. That's talking about the damnation of, of going through life with a lot of problems in your life. Two kinds of damnation. There's a damnation of your flesh. That simply means that you just spend your whole life in problems and issues. And you're, you know, uh, uh, you know. We, we say the phrase, you know, many times we get an unworkable situation. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. That's the damnation of this world. Then, of course, there is a damnation of eternal uh, hell separated from God. That's not what they're talking about here. What he's basically saying is this. Verse 22, he's saying if you're a strong Christian and have faith to do anything, that's okay. That's a good thing, but you'll want to be careful. Verse 23 says if you're a weaker Christian and you can't maybe have the faith that somebody else has, that's okay too, as long as you don't stay that way. Because everything in the Christian life, and this is what we're going to focus on today, Everything in the Christian life is built on the concept of faith. Right now, it might be all right for you not to have the faith because you're growing, but you cannot stay that way. You would think it would be pretty weird if you went back and you have a little baby, and it's back in the baby nursery back there, and they're all crying around on the floor. You would think it's strange if you walked in there to get your child and looked over in a crib, and there was a guy that was 22 years old You know, he doesn't even fit in his crib. His legs are hanging over the end, you know, and he's kind of got his head popped up and he's sucking on a bottle and got a pacifier around his neck. Would you not think that's a little strange? (laughs) Well, they're like that in churches all the time because you cannot stay weak. He's saying, take that younger Christian and allow them to be that way and don't hurt them. But at the same time, you have to understand, folks, that growing in faith and trusting God is probably the number one thing in our lives that we need to do. You know what the ministry is? Some of you young men, young ladies will be in the ministry down the line and and you'll be out there in a church someplace doing something. Let me tell you, you know what 90% of the ministry is? It's having faith for people in tough times because they have not grown spiritually to have faith in their own tough times. That's a lot what the ministry is. A ministry is helping people who have, should have grown but have not grown and they've been saved 5, 10, 15, 20 years and they, they're no more be able to trust God now than they were the day they got saved. And so every time a problem goes into their life, somebody with more faith has to step in and try to help them through it. And that's okay when you're just a young Christian. But you don't want to be that 25-year-old in a crib you want to grow up to be able to handle everything that God has for you in life. And the concept of our Christian life, we're going to talk about it today, is faith. He says, whatsoever. Think about that. What, what, what a damning statement this is. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. You see, when we think about sin, we think about murder, don't we? Bank robbers, adultery, you know, idolatry, drunkenness, gossip, sowing discord, somebody lying all the time. We think of that as sin, but man, we're not even close to that. He's saying, the Bible's saying, that in your life and my life, whatever we do in life that we cannot 100% exercise faith in to trust God, it's sin. Now, let me explain that. God allows you and me as young Christians. Some of you come to the point where you are just, you're just, you're just got into this and you, you, you're you, growing, you're learning, and you can't trust God for everything. That's okay. God understands that. God's not going to come down and whack you because of that. You need to know that. But what I'm saying is this. There needs to be a process by which you and I come to the point that there comes a time in our life that we can trust God for just about everything in our lives. We can use the terminology all day long, spiritually mature, being a leader, whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, it simply means you've grown to the place that whatever comes into your life, you now have the grace and the faith to be able to trust God for it and through it. That's the key. Now, let's look at this and let's define, first of all, faith. I think that's very important because I think most people don't understand really what faith is. Because the Bible says that everything we do as a Christian is based on it and it's not, it's sin according to the Bible. Now, look, what is faith? All the time, all my life, I've tried to witness to somebody, and I'm sure you have too, and that person says, you know what? I'm not gonna trust anything I can't see. I've had people tell me, oh, you Christians, you know, yeah, you just blind faith. You just step out by blind faith and just hang on to something you can't even see. And, uh, and that's what the average Christian really thinks faith is in the Bible. But that's not Bible faith. That's not Bible faith. Bible faith is never based on blind faith. Blind, I mean, when you start out and you begin to grow, it's a process of growth. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, that when you get saved, you know what God does? He gives you a measure of faith, just a little squirt, just a little dab. He gives you just enough for you to get saved. But then what do you do with that? You have to do something in your life to grow, that that faith grows. I think people think that you get saved, you know, and you just you know, lay around the house for a while and watch television, you know, and hang out and, and don't do a lot of crazy things. And one day God comes down and just foof, makes you spiritual. There's a process to you and me coming to the place where we can understand that whatsoever is not of faith is sin and have the ability to trust God in everything in our life when it comes down. And that's the process we're going to talk about today. I read over in Hebrews chapter 5, and when I read that, I see so many Christians. Hebrews chapter 5, down around verse 12, I think it is, he says simply, there's this. He's talking to Christians, and he says, for what time you ought to be teachers. For what time you ought to be teachers and teaching somebody the Bible. He says, you know what the deal is? Somebody again has to begin to teach you the basic fundamentals. You know why that is? Because people don't grow. If you're, there's people in this church that, that in any church, that if you don't grow, if you don't get into a process by which God exercises your senses and helps you get to the point where you, you, you trust God in everything that you do, you too will be like that 26 year old guy in the nursery. Bible talks about in Philippians chapter four, verse 13. I think it's one of the greatest verses in the Bible. It simply says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. It simply means that it's not Christ that comes down and strengthens you. It says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It's the things that you do for Christ that God takes and strengthens you and gives you faith. You know what faith is in my life? You know what faith is in my life? There's things out there tomorrow... There's things out there next month. There's things out there next year. There's something coming my life down the road that I don't see, that I know nothing about, that's going to blindside me just like it's going to blindside you. There's things that are going to happen to you in the future that you're not even expecting today. And the average concept of faith is that you just step out blindly and trust God. I never do that. You know how I know God's going to come out, take care of me tomorrow you know how I know that God's going to take care of me next week? You know how I know that God's going to take care of me all the way down the line, maybe five years from now? You know I know that for sure? Because he's taken care of me the last 40 years. You see, faith is looking back and seeing what God did, and then knowing that if he did that for 40 years, what are the chances he'll be there tomorrow? Pretty good. Pretty good. I had a guy one time that was going into the ministry, and, and, and he felt the same thing that most young guys do when you get close to that point. You start to second guess yourself. And he started to struggle, and he came in to see me, and he said, Bobby says, I want you to know I'm really scared. He said, I'm stepping out into something that I've never done before. He says, it's been easy to minister here under you because you made all the decisions and did all the hard stuff. Now I've got to step out and I've got to do that. And he says, I want you to know, very frankly, I'm scared to death. I don't even know if I should be doing this. And he started getting to that thing where he just worried himself to death. You know what I told him? I said, look at it from my perspective. I watched you when you came into this church about six, seven years ago. I watched you when you were so stupid about the Bible, you not only did not know anything, you didn't suspect anything. And I watched God take you. And I watched God mold you. And I watched God get a hold of your heart. I watched God bring your wife into the equation. I watched God build you and I watched you in the first time you preached and everything that God did in your life. For the last eight or nine years, he's done this and he's done that. Now you're stepping on a place where you're going to step out now and you're afraid because you think you're going to step out there by faith of the unknown. No, the same God that took the last eight years to prepare you for this very day. Didn't bring you here to drop you now. You know what old Mel Sabaka, my father, the Lord, used to tell me? He used to say the best position. You want to learn how to trust God? He said the best position a Christian can ever find himself in is up in a very high tree, out on a very weak branch, and looking back and seeing God with a hacksaw on his hand and a smile on his face. That's how you learn to trust him. But if you're not willing to put yourself into those scenarios, if you're not willing to put a process in your life, faith is not based on your blind just trusting God. Faith is based on what God has done in your life to bring you to this point right now. I look across this room and I'll see, I will see so many of you who God has done things, put things in your life, got you where you're at right now. And tomorrow or next week or down the line, something will happen bad in your life. Something will befall you in your life. Something will, catastrophe will come in. And we'll lose sight of what God did because we're scared of what's out there. Same God had got you through to this point. Same God going to get you the rest of the way home. That's faith. That's the definition of faith from the Bible standpoint. And like I said, 90% of the ministry is having faith for people who have been around long enough who should have faith, but they don't. Now, I, don't know, I want to give you this too. The definitive passage on faith in the Bible is found in Hebrews chapter 11. This is commonly called God's great hall of fame. And you'll find coming down through here, if you want to study it sometime, that there are 17 men or women who really give you a composite of what faith is. And, uh, and these are people who got to the place in their life where they went through some tremendous things. And it's the passage in the Bible that really lays out faith. But if you're a Bible student and you, you really look for things in the Bible like I tell you to do, when you read this chapter, you're going to find that there's two exceptions here. Notable exception. The Bible showcases two men here in this great chapter that we can really see uh, the process of their spiritual growth. Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. I think that's a great verse. You see that in the men and the women's lives in, Roman, uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 11. Romans chapter 4, verse 12 is another great verse that I really love, and I think it even says it even better. It talks about their walking in the steps of faith. Faith, you take one step at a time. And as you look at chapter 11, you know what jumps out at you if you're studying it? Two men. Now, let me just give you a little key on the Bible. Anytime you're studying something in the Bible or you're coming through the Bible and you'll find that uh, great, great emphasis is put on this person or that person more than this person or that person. I'm telling you right there, at that particular point, God's trying to show you something. Now, this great chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, got 17 people in it. But there's two men. The first one's name is Abraham. And when you come down through this chapter, you'll find that there's 12 verses devoted to his life, more than anybody else in there. Moses is second in the list, and he's got seven verses. These two men predominantly are the two key men in this chapter on faith. You know why that is? Because when you go through the whole Bible and you study their life, these men picture in their lives what they go through, what they struggle with, where they start, where they wind up, they, 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 they are the exact process that you and I can study in every detail. You can read these men's lives and write your own name in there from the time you got saved right up to the point where God gave you the faith to be everything that God wants you to be. Moses, he'll show you a picture of a man's faith as he grows to the aspect in ministry. But Abraham... Abraham will be a picture of our process in faith in our daily walk with God. You see, the key, ladies and gentlemen, to any relationship is faith and trust. If you are dating somebody and you're going to marry them down the line, let me just give you a little bit of advice. If you don't have faith in their spirituality 100%, and you don't have trust in their relationship with God, you're probably making the biggest mistake you're ever going to make in your life. Because the very two fundamental concepts of any relationship is faith and trust. And yet, it's the same two fundamental aspects of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Only two men in the Bible that God ever called his friend. You want to be God's friend? Do you really have a desire in your life? Maybe you never even thought about it. Maybe you thought everybody was God's friend. That's not true. Maybe thought the moment you got saved, you know, you became God's friend. Well, the moment you became saved, you became God's child. But that doesn't mean you're God's friend. There's a process to become God's friend. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8, and James chapter 2, verse 23, tells us that Abraham was God's friend. Exodus chapter 33 verse 11 tells us that Moses was God's friend. They're the only two men in all of the Bible. Now, I know for a moment, I don't think for a moment that they're the only two men in the Bible that were God's friend. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this. When God puts your attention to something and out of all the people in the Bible says that two men were his friend, if you want to become God's friend, give you a little insight. Study those two men's lives in their lives will be everything that you need to get to that point. Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. You can't even please him without faith. Both of these men get called out. They both start with absolutely nothing in their lives, just like you and I do. Both grow through their experiences as God has his hand in their lives to become the two men in the Bible that are probably two of the greatest old men, two men in the Old Testament. You people have a hard time with this because they, 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 they struggle and they, they make mistakes, you know, and sometimes because we do struggle in life and we have things that we maybe can't get the victory over, that we think there's something wrong with us. Let me tell you something. When you read your Bible, you will find one great thing. Every man and woman in that book had issues and struggles all through their life. You're not alone in it. The bottom line is you don't want to stay there. How do you get out of the, the problem that you're in? You get out by the same way you got in. You, don't, you, you cannot solve the problems in your life with the same thinking that got you into those problems. You have to walk out just like you walked in, but you've got to go out with God in your life and the faith to him to get you through it. Now, I want to deal with Abraham today. We don't have time to do them both, and I'm not sure I really would anyhow. We'll do Moses later. Moses deals with ministry. And right now, you know, I'm more concerned with some of you younger Christians and helping you get your walk before God and help you uh, get to that place where it needs to be in your life. But let me ask you a question. Do you want to be God's friend? I mean, deep down in your heart, do you? The Bible says Abraham, the friend of God. We have a song in our hymnal that we sing every once in a while. And it's a great song. And it simply says, what a friend we have in Jesus. Every time I sing that song, I always think, what one kind of friend he has in me? And that's the real question. I'm not worried about God's friendship to me. I'm worried about my friendship to him. And we're going to look today, and we're going to talk about what God looks for on your part to become God's friend, to get to the place in your life. And remember now, the Bible says, Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Get into the place where you can trust God in your life and everything that you do. Now, I'm going to walk you through. It's going to be very quickly. I'm going to walk you through uh, an outline, basically. I know that I'm not going to take the time to go through it in great detail because probably half of you won't do anything with it anyhow, and the other half that will, you'll take it home and study it out, and I'd like to see what you find yourself. But I'm going to walk you through a little outline today. I'm going to walk you through a man's journey in his life that parallels your journey and my journey in life and brings us to the point where we start out with nothing. We start out where we can't trust God for anything Do we get to the point where we trust God for everything. As we go through this, I'm going to show you that there's three areas in Abraham's life that need to be the three areas in your life that you grow in faith in. And this thing is an incredible picture of your life and my life. And uh, we're going to walk through this together. And the first thing I want to tell you is this. And you better let's set the context here so we know where we're going. Let me give you the first principle. Now, this will be a little rough for some of you, but uh, that's okay. God wants everything in your life. God will not settle for second place in your life. God wants everything in your life. Now, that's, let that soak in for a minute because that's where we're going today. Now, that's not a popular message today because we like to keep things to ourselves, don't we? But the bottom line is that God will not take second place in your life to anything or anybody. The Bible says that he's a jealous God and he gets jealous when we put somebody else or something else in front of him. He wants your undivided attention. He wants you focused. He wants you ready to go for him. And he will not, listen to me again, he will not settle for second place in your life, and he wants everything you have. Let's start with that. A journey to become the friend of God. Now, the first thing I want you to do here is turn back to Genesis chapter 12. We're just going to kind of walk through this. This will be a basic outline, and I'm going to give you the headers. I'm going to give you some stuff to bring you through a process very quickly that you can can go home and you can get this thing going. This would be great stuff to talk about on Thursday night or even better stuff one-on-one when you come over that we can go through it. But this is some incredible stuff here. Now, I want to show you a man's life in the Old Testament. Bible says over there, I think it's in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Bible says that uh, these things that happened in the Old Testament are for our examples and for our example. Now, what's the difference between an ensample and an example? Well, an example, you need to know this. An example is something that you do. An example is something that you do. But an example is something that you are. And when you understand how those two concepts work in your life, and we're now going to walk through this man's life, Abraham, you're going to see the parallels. That Bible says over there in 1 Corinthians 10 that all those things that happened to them were for our admonition, that we could learn from them. So every story in the Old Testament has something that it gives us for our relationship. You want to learn how to walk with God? You want to learn the process of having faith in your life to the point, I don't care where you start. I don't care where you're at today. You may not be able to trust God for anything. That's okay. Everybody in the Bible started that way. But there has to be a process to get you to the point where you trust God for everything. That would be Abraham. Watch this. We'll just come down and break these things down. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. The calling out of Abraham. Let me just tell you. God had something he wanted Abraham to do. He called Abraham out to do it. Now, do you know where he called him out from? He called him out from the Ur of Chaldees. That's modern-day Babylon, Iraq. And Ur of the Chaldees is a picture of the worldly system. That's Babylon. That's Babylon. And when he called him out, he called him out of Ur, a picture of the world, to go to a place that Abraham had never seen. And he wanted Abraham to leave that country by faith and go to a place that he had never seen. Why? Because God had a plan for Abraham's life. I'm going to stop right there and say this. God saved you and called you out of the world for one reason, folks. One reason only. And you better get it. God saved you and called you out of this world for one reason. Because God has a plan for you. Just like he had a plan for Abraham, he's got a plan for you. And just like Abraham struggled in his initial concept of that plan, so do we. But here's a man who started out and when he finally wound up, the Bible says became God's friend a man who couldn't start trust God for anything and wound up trusting him with everything. What we want to see is to put point A and point Z and then follow that journey in between. God called him out. God called him out. Here's what he said to him. I know you're reading right there. He says, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house. Now notice verse 2. There's a condition here and I will make thee a great nation. See, the condition is you got to get out of that country, out of your family, out of all of those things, then I'll make you a strong and mighty nation. Now, here's where his lack of faith comes in, just like mine when I was a young Christian, and even today in many things, and yours too. Look at verse 4, chapter 12. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. Whoa, time out. Lot went with him. He just told him not to take anybody with him. You see, there's some times in your life when God wants you to step out by faith and do it yourself, but because we don't have the faith, we got to have somebody with us. And Lot was a bad choice. We're going to see as we go on down through this thing that Lot was one of the main sources of his problems in his early years. We're going to see that God wanted him to leave his kindred, his father's house, and all of his brethren because he did not want the mixture of the world, or of Chaldees, going where Abraham was going. But Abraham, like you and I, he did not have enough faith to trust God. So he said, well, I'm going, but I'm taking a lot with me. And many times in our lives, <coughs> many times in our lives, when <coughs> we cannot separate ourselves totally. We've got to realize that God is enough. And you have to come to the point that Lot Lot is the source of Abraham's problem all through his early years. And the fact that he did not have enough faith just to leave it all is a picture of you and I not having enough faith when God calls us out to do something. Look at chapter 12, verse 9. From here, it, it gets worse. Because it always gets worse when you... You can't just get through the process in your life that God wants you to just to trust him. And here's where he goes into Egypt. And there's a famine. And so he goes into Egypt. Now, Egypt's a type of the world. You know what's a picture of? This thing is a picture of the first time God calls you and me out to do something. And the first thing that happens, we run right back to the world because we've not learned to trust him yet. Oh, how many times have we done that? I love chapter 9, 12, verse 9. I love the way the Holy Spirit of God. And Abram Abram, Abram journeyed going still south. He'd go in the wrong direction. If God called him out of ur Chaldees to go over to the promised land, that was west. That's the good direction in the Bible. He's going south. Now, you know what? When you go south from God, everything in your life goes south. That's the wrong direction. And when he gets down in Egypt, things continue to go south in his life. They always will when the world and God are involved in your life. Hey, at some point in your life as you grow, maybe not today, but just so you understand, at some point in your life when you grow, you got to let the world go. And you got to let the friends of the world go. And sometimes you got to let worldly Christian friends go. Because they'll always take you south. It will always take you south. You know in the Bible, north is the direction of God. You know that, Psalms 75, 6. You know that north is the direction of God. You know that south is the direction away from God. Over there in Ecclesiastes, it says, whether a tree falls to the north or to the south, you know it, picture of a man either going to heaven or going to hell. South is always the opposite of north. And there will be people in your life that will always take you the opposite way that you need to go as a Christian. Well, you know what happens, he gets down there and Pharaoh sees sees Sarai, and she's a beautiful woman, and uh, Sarai comes to the place where uh, uh, she's Abraham's wife, but uh, Abraham knows what's going to happen. Abraham knows that it's typical that uh, if, I, if he says, well, she's, my, she's my, my, my wife, and Pharaoh wants her for his wife, that some night while Abraham's sleeping, somebody will sneak in and cut his throat, and then he won't have a wife anymore. So he pays the safe route, and he says, no, she's not my wife, she's my sister. Now that, i got to tell you, that's a half-truth. Because she is his sister in a line of, if you study the genealogies. But it's a half truth. The bottom line is this. Abraham doesn't have enough faith because he's in the wrong place. The farther south you go from God, whoever gets you there, the less faith you're going to have. It's just that simple. But I love this. Verse 17. You see, God has a job for Abraham to do. And the hand of God at this time is on his life. And God intervenes to save him from making a huge mistake. I I, I can't tell you. Maybe you can't grasp it. I don't know. I can't tell you personally what something like that when I read it means to me. Maybe it means nothing to you. It means to me that God loves me so much and he loves you so much that when he has a plan for you, he understands that we're going to do some stupid things. But as long as there was a process of moving in the right direction, God intervenes. Do you know what a disaster it would have been that if Abraham would have got killed or they'd have taken her and Pharaoh would have impregnated her and where the promised seed was supposed to come? You know how that would have fouled everything up in God's plan? God intervened. Now, I want to show you something. What I'm going to show you, I don't understand. I believe it, but I don't understand it. You could ask me for the next 10,000 years and I could never answer this. But I know it's true. I see it. God saw something in Abraham he didn't see in other people. And yet I see that in, in my own ministry all down through the years. I've seen young people come in, young couples come in. Their moms and dads were unsaved. Their lives were a mess. They come to the point where when I watch them grab the word of God and watch God do something in their life, And I think to myself, there is no way on this planet with how they were raised that they had no spiritual upbringing, nothing in their life spiritually. They ought to be out in the world and they ought to be swallowed up in it. They ought to be drug dealers. They ought to be drunkards. They ought to be out there in the world. How in the world did that person get to where they're at when they had nothing in their life from God down through life? You know what it is? God saw something in them. God saw something in them. Then I see other people who parents brought them to church all their life. They grew up in Sunday school and the Bible was everything in their life and they wound up being worthless. I don't know how to explain how that God looks down in your heart and my heart, but I do believe this. I believe the day you get saved, the day I got saved, God saw me in a finished form. And I believe with all of my heart that every from that moment on, God started putting people, things in my life And God looked down in my heart to see how I would respond to those things. And this may not mean nothing to some of you, but maybe it's too young for some of you, too young to grasp it. But I'm telling you something. When I look at this thing and I see how God, he said about him, he said in Genesis chapter 18, verse 18 and 19, God speaking to himself. And how many times I've wondered when God looked at me and spoke to himself about me, what he said. He says in verse 18, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, wow, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. That's an incredible passage. You know what it says? That thing was written right in the middle of Abraham's growth process. And yet God saw something in him that he didn't see in somebody else. Do you ever see a child of God who you know saved? This, This thing bothers me tremendously. I never say anything about it, but it bothers me tremendously. Because when I understand that God has a plan for you and a plan for me, and I look down and see how God chose Abraham out of that whole thing, And I know he saw it based on Abraham's heart. And then I look around and I see in my own life, and my own ministry, down through the years, the thing that bothers me, did you ever see a child of God that walked away from God and God just let him go? That's the scariest thing in the world for me, for me to walk away from God and God just to say, well, go ahead, Bob, do what you want to do. I can't use you. That is the most scariest thing that anybody could ever say to me as a child of God. The job of a good pastor, for those of you that will ever pastor someday, is to look at people and not see what the world sees, but try to see what God sees in that person, to try to look beyond. I mean, so many people get caught up in all of the things that you've got in your background or what you did or what you didn't do, that they fail to see that, you know what, we're all a work of grace and progress, and you've got to see that thing and look down inside and see the thing that God sees, and that's that's a man's heart. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. He keeps going south. He can't get to where he needs to be because he can't trust God 100%. And remember now, folks, whatsoever of faith, and not of faith, is sin. Now, if you've, I don't, probably haven't skimmed it that much and you maybe haven't read it before, but if you read this, you'll find out glaring that there's two problems that he has. The first problem he's got is Lot's still with him. Second problem he's got found in chapter 13, verse 2. And Abraham was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. Those are the two things right there that will kill you every time in your walk and your progression of trusting God. Bad friends and worldly possessions. Putting that emphasis in your life over God. Because God won't take second place in your life. God wants everything you have. Abraham hadn't got to that point yet. Oh, he's going where God wanted him to go, but he's bringing his gold and his silver and his cattle and lot. Let me tell you something. As a child of God, God has a plan for your life, and there can never be a plan B. (laughs) This won't be that way. Abraham's doing what so many of us do. Oh, he's going. But he can't trust God to leave everything behind, so he brings Lot for whatever reason. He brings his cattle, his silver, and his gold just in case God doesn't come through. You got a plan B. Never work with God. Never work. You and I have to come to the place in our life where we trust him with everything we have because if whatsoever is not of faith, it's sin. Boy, that's what he closes out that great chapter. He hasn't learned totally to separate himself from the things of this world. God brings him now down through here in the the same chapter. God brings him into conflict between Lot. And finally, you know what happens? He separates from Lot and they go their separate ways. Now, let me talk to you about that. You know why God... Now, I realize that sometimes we get into conflict because we just do dumb things. I know that. I, I, I do dumb things, get into conflict. You do too. But my point here is this that I want you to see in this study of a man's journey that so mirrors your life and my life and getting to that point from where you can't trust God for nothing to you trust him for everything is the fact that uh, when you look down through here, uh, he says simply that uh, to get a lot out of his life there had to be a conflict. You know what? Sometimes God will bring a conflict in your life to get the things out of your life that he doesn't want in there. Do you ever stop and think about that? No, we don't think about that because we're so caught up in a world. Somebody said, well, I lost my job. I guess it was the economy. Really? I mean, I'm not saying this is the reason, but maybe God took your job because you wasn't doing what's right when you had the job. Oh, we never think about that, do we? Well, I had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and, and you know what? And, and he dumped me or she dumped me. I'm all down in the dump. Really? Well, I'm not saying this is true, but I'm saying it could be true. Maybe God knew that that person wasn't going to be what you needed to be, and God's got a plan for you, and they're not part of the plan. And so God made the conflict. We can't think like that. That'd be too biblical. But here's a case where God tried, told him, leave Lot go. Get away from him. Leave everything. I want to be the sustainer. What I've ordained, Abraham, I will sustain. Okay, Lord, I'm going. Get Lot, get the gold, get the silver, get the cattle. God said, that ain't going to work. So a conflict comes in. And many times when a conflict comes in your life and my life, why do we always just think it's the devil? I mean, why do we, I mean, Flip Wilson's been dead now for many years. Most of you young people don't even know him. The guy that went around saying, the devil made me do it? He blamed half the world's problems on the poor old devil. I got news for you. The devil didn't need to make me do anything, nor he didn't make you do it. We'll just do it ourselves. That's the kind of people we are when you don't walk by faith. And you walk by sight. Abraham was called out. He's on his way, but he's walking by sight. He's not walking by faith. And so a conflict comes in. But I got to say, in the process of this, we see some growth in his life, if you're paying attention. You see, God sees us in the final form. And as long as we keep growing, it may be only one step at a time. It may be three steps forward and two steps back. But as long as in our heart we have the process that we're going to grow and we want to trust him and we walk by faith one step at a time, God always sees us in the final form. Our job is to transform ourselves that we see the final form also. And now in this chapter, there's a, we have what we call in Bible study, the law of first mention. And that is uh, the first time you find something in the Bible, it always means something. It's a definitive thing. And yet, I don't know of another character in the Bible that we could study today that you don't find so many first-time things popping up. First time in the Bible, it pops up in this story. You know the first thing that pops up in verse 13? First time you find in the Bible, the word Hebrew. God's going something. God's developing something here. We may see Abraham stumbling and making some mistakes, but he's still got the concept and he's going in the right direction in his walk with God, even though he's having a tough time and he's stumbling, making mistakes. And so the first thing we see the first time in the Bible is the word Hebrew. That's going to be the nation. He just said, I'm going to make thee a father of many nations. That's the nation, the Hebrew nation. God sees something here that we don't see. Then we see in this chapter one of the greatest aspects of his growth in his concept of his giving back to God. Look at chapter 14. 14. Look at verse 18 and 20. There's a great battle takes place. And there, coming down through there, he meets a man named Melchizedek. And the Bible says down there in verse 20, and here's the first time this word shows up in your Bible, that he gives tithes to Melchizedek of all that he had. You know what Abraham's starting to do? He's starting to see that everything he does have doesn't belong to him anyhow, and he wouldn't have it if God didn't give it to him. God wants everything you have. He wants every diamond in the bank, every car in your garage, every boat in your driveway. He wants everything you got. He wants it for his honor and glory. Now, every time you start talking about the word tithe, you know, people get nervous, you know. Well... Uh, people told me all the time, you know, so guys don't die. Well, you know what? Tithing's not scriptural in the Bible. And I said, Really? Why is that? And he said, Well, it's, it's under the law in the Old Testament. I said, Oh, that's really good. That's where he said, Yeah, it's not in the New Testament. It's under the law in the Old Testament. I always take him back to Abraham. Abraham was tithing 500 years before the law was in effect. We can just scratch that out of your Bible if you want. Exacto cutters work really well. We sell them in the bookstore back there just for those who want to get rid of the verses they don't like. He's starting to learn that what he has has been given to him by God. The Bible concept of, you know, there's three things here in his life that come out that show you to grow. The first thing that grows, and we're going to study here as we come through this, is he grows in faith in his attitude toward God and his relationship. The second thing that you've got to realize that everything you have belongs to God and you got to have faith to trust him. Somebody says, well, I'll start tithing when I can afford it. You don't tithe when you can afford it. You tithe when you can't afford it and trust God to bring you through the concept. Well, oh, that's so foreign today. But then that's why we're not God's friend. Remember Abraham, gold, silver, and cattle? Do you know why you don't give anything to God you know why, don't you? I mean, sure you do, don't you? I mean, uh, you mean you may have whatever excuse you have in your mind, but you know the bottom line is why you don't give anything to God, period, financially? You know what the bottom line is? Because you don't trust him. That's why. I mean, it's simply that. You don't trust him. And it irks you every time you're reminded of it. And I don't care. You're giving us not the benefit of, of, of anything other than you. People think that they don't give their money. You know, the angels will come into God and say, We're going to, have to turn the lights out, Lord. We can't pay the power bill this month. God doesn't need your money. You're trusting God and giving him everything. Because he you knows somebody says, Well, I I I think it's this or I think it's that. I think it's Matthew 6 21. What does that say? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In his life, we see him grow in his giving. We see him understand through this process. In chapter 14, he's been in the tithe. In chapter 18, he graduates from that to an offering over and above. And in chapter 22, he gets to the point where he understands sacrificial giving. We'll talk about it when we get there. Our next Iron Man class, uh, we're going we're to talk about We've laid some foundations. Now for this next year and probably the next couple of years, we're going to go to work. I'm asking every young man and every young lady who wants to be a part of the future of this church to make this ministry work. And you're going to count yourself a part of it. We're going to begin to take this ministry apart piece by piece and teach you how it works. You need to know and understand how this thing works. Any work will always be done by the minority. It'll never be done by the majority. I don't care what it is, where it is. It's true all the way through the Bible. And you need to understand that the people who get the job done will always be in the minority. I'm going to show you why people do the things that they do. I'm going to show you the plan to dinosize this church when things come to the point that we have to do it. These are things you need to learn and understand. Things are never what they appear some of you may know the Bible pretty well, but now it's time for you to know every piece of how this church goes together, every bolt, every, every nut, every washer, every aspect of it. It has to be built on faith. Then chapter 16. I think chapter 16 is a great chapter because it shows you, this is a bad chapter in Abraham's life, by the way. I think we all have bad chapters in our life at some point or the other, but he has his too. You'll have yours. I have mine. But here in chapter 16 is something that I, I want to focus on, not what happened to him as much as I do is behind the scenes. Because this is a great example in the Bible, and I know this to be true. It shows you that when you start to grow and you start to do what's right in your life, the devil's going to come after you because he wants to stop God's plan. Just that simple. You want life in a very simple format way? Here it is. God has, a, if you're saved this morning, God has a plan for you, something he wants you to do. He'll put everything in your life to get it done. Devil wants to stop it. He'll put everything in your life to stop it. It's that simple. And here's where Abraham gets stopped. And it's the great chapter in chapter 16 that uh, uh, deals with the promise of Isaac. Now, we know who Isaac is. Isaac is, is the promised seed. From Isaac is going to come Christ. And uh, you'll find here the problem is that uh, when he comes down and tells them this, and he, you got to understand it's kind of a tough deal. When he comes down and finally tells Abraham, "I'm going to give you a son," Abraham is 86 years old. Sarai is 77. Now there isn't too many couples, 86 and 77, who have having children. But the great principle there is God always does his work through impossible situations, but it takes faith on our part to trust him through it. Can you imagine when they walked in, babies are us? Started to order a pack and play or a pack and whatever they all, and order this and order that, and and somebody says, oh, somebody in your family having a baby? And Abraham looks over and says, oh, yeah, Sarai, she's with child. You see, here's the, get this, folks. This is what I'm talking about. This is faith. The whole world saw an old couple ready for John Knox Village. The whole world saw an 86 year old man and a 77 year old woman that was ready for the old folks' home, but God saw the nation of Israel. See, you look at yourself, your friends look at you, and you see you and whoever you are and what you do for a living. You know what God sees? God sees the finished product that He wants to do in your life and my life. The problem is, we can't see it because we don't have the faith to see it. So, what happens? Romans chapter 4, verse 17, one of the greatest verses in all of the Bible about Abraham. It says, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him who he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, that'd be their dead bodies of being 86 and 77, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. There it is. That's what God wants you to do. He wants you to see something that nobody else sees and call it for what it is when you see it as God sees it. That's what I do with you. How many times somebody says, I don't waste any time with him, he's an idiot. But I see something in you that maybe they don't see. Now, sometimes they'll say, don't waste any time with him, he's an idiot. And I said, you're right, let's move on to somebody else. (laughs) But the bottom line is this, God sees something in you today. You know what the problem is? You don't see it yourself. Because there's no process of you growing in faith. So what happens? See, faith is seeing what God sees when nobody else sees it in your own life. If I would have listened to the people when I first surrendered to preach in the ministry, what they told me, I never would have gotten in the ministry. My own mother told me it was a waste of time. But I had never listened to her anyhow, so why should that start now? <laughs> people, everybody told me, you ain't going to make it. You're not going to make it. Maybe I didn't make it, but you know what? I saw what God saw and I didn't care what anybody else did. And I still in my thing today. I mean, it's just the way it is. But here's the problem. You need to see this. This is a bad chapter in Abraham's life. But then we all have bad chapters in our life. Genesis 16, 16, it says he's 86 years old when he makes this terrible mistake and takes Hagar and produces Ishmael and he becomes a problem in their life. For the, down, the Jews today in the Middle East are struggling with that mistake that he made. And then in seventeen one, the Bible says he's 99 years old. That's 13 years later. And between those two times, there's not one mention where him and God have any conversation. Because of that bad decision, he gets set back 13 years and him and God have no concept, no talk, no fellowship for 13 years. But God's not done with him because God sees something. Boy, I cannot even think. I, God, I pray that there never be a day that you would let me walk away from the ministry or my responsibilities as a Christian and just leave me go. I wouldn't care if you cut off my leg, cut off my head. Well, don't cut off my head, then I can't do anything. Cut off my arm, whatever you got to do. Don't ever let me get to the place where I just walk away from what I once did. Walk away what I do. Walk away what I know is right. And you just say, see ya, see ya, see ya. Hi, have a nice trip. See ya, see ya at the gentleman's seat. See ya, go on, go, go, go. Then in chapter 17, after 13 years, the great silence is broken. 17.1 says, and when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, 99, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I want, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Indication is that he wasn't walking before him and he wasn't perfect. The great silence is broken. Fellowship is restored. And then what happens? The process goes on. You know what happened in this chapter? I've been calling him Abraham, but his real name up to this point has been Abram. And Sarah, her name was Sarai. What happens in this great chapter after the 13 years out of fellowship and a great regression in his life, God brings him back, and then God changes his name. I would dare to say that in those 13 years. You know what? You know why God doesn't tell you what happened in those 13 years? I'll tell you why. Because those 13 years, we can all put ourselves in. And we, he learned some things in those 13 years. And when God started speaking to him again, brother, he was ready to get the thing going. So you know what God does? God changes his name. Abram means high father. Now it's changed to Abraham, the father of many nations. Sarai means high princess. But Sarah means I will bless her with many nations. Now, I don't know if you know it or not, but in the Bible, God changes the names of seven people. Seven of them. And in every case, it's a picture of them moving to the next spiritual plateau of getting where God wants them to be. And it signifies the place in their life where they're never going back. It signifies the place in their life where they're never going back. I have watched in some of your lives, believe it or not, never said anything to you. I have watched in many of your lives when God changed your name. You didn't see it. I don't think you did. I saw it. I watched in many of your lives, you come into this church, you struggle, you 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 work through some things, you get yourself to the place where you finally get, at, and you get some things under your belt, you finally learn some things, you go through some bad experiences in life, and then you know what? It's almost like I saw you on Monday, when I saw you on Friday, you were a different person. You know why? Someplace in the process, you passed that portal, and now you're at a place where you're never going back to the world or anything in it again. You may not be perfect, you may still have some problems. He did. But he was no going back. The process, the journey of his life is the journey of your life and my life. The guy God changed your name. The God day God changed your name. Then in chapter 18 and 19, boy, it really picks up speed pretty quickly because now we see a difference in the fellowship toward God. Now we see where we, he gave the tithe back here. Now he's giving an offering in 18.5. Now is where he's, when the Lord and, and two angels show up, uh, he's coming to the point where he, he, by, he, he, he prepares, I mean, he lists everything out, a fatted calf and he, all the things that he does. He pulls, it puts on a great spread, and then he stands there and he says, I've just given you a little morsel of bread. And he doesn't even eat it himself. He stands back and he allows them to, you know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of over and above what he's given back to God. Over and above. I always thought it was a great contrast because in chapter 19, verse 5, you see the counterpart to Abraham was Lot. Now, Lot represents a wicked Christian, a worldly Christian, where Abraham represents a godly Christian who wants to do God's plan. Lot could care less. And when the angels and the Lord go before Abraham, he puts out this great spread, and he just says, calls it a morsel of bread. But when they go to Lot chapter 19, Lot gives them an unleavened bread. Have you ever eaten unleavened bread? It is the God-awfulest stuff you ever ate in your life. You see, when Abraham, he prepared a great feast, and he stood back, wouldn't eat, and said, this is just a morsel of bread. But when Lot, he gave them unleavened bread, stood back and said, that's a feast. See their perspective on what they give? Incredible. This is a great study on a great journey. Because remember, whatsoever not his faith is sin. Chapter 18 and 19 shows us he's learned how to pray. Because in chapter 19, again, another first, the first time you find the word prayer in the Bible. He's learning how to pray. The example is that in chapter 18 when he stands there before the Lord and he prays for Lot. He's getting concerned now, the three aspects, his attitude toward into his relationship with God, his attitude toward giving and his attitude toward other people. he's growing in faith. We get into chapter 20, we still see he lacks faith in some areas because he gets in a little mess with Abimelech again, but he's moving on. And then I think the greatest chapter here is chapter 21. Now, you're probably thinking it's the great chapter because it's the birth of Isaac. Finally, the seed gets brought into this world and Isaac becomes Isaac. Isaac has Jacob and right on down the line and uh, we have Jesus Christ in the line of Isaac, the light of Abraham. <clears throat> but that, to me, is a great thing in this chapter, but that's not the, that's not the, that's not the greater thing. That his birth of Isaac overshadows what I think is the greatest principle and it's stuck down there in verse 25 and verse 34. And it is really the thing that we're looking for. Because since God changed His name, everything has changed, man. He's moving on down the line. He's not perfect, He still makes mistakes. But boy, when he gets down here and God brings through the promised seed, the thing that really stands out to me is in verse 25 and 34, because he, the Bible says that he had dug a well. Now I don't know if you know it or not, but a wells in the Bible or a picture of your ministry. You ought to take a study sometime in your Bible for the people who give water in pitchers, jars, vases, whatever the case, compared to where they get water out of a well. You see, the, the pots, the vessels, the pitchers, they're only, only a few can drink, and you, it, it, it runs out very quickly. But when you have a well, when you dig a well, everybody can drink for as long as they want, and it's a picture. It's a picture of, of what a biblical ministry should be. You know what most churches have? They just have little pitchers. And it runs out very quick. You don't get anything, and not everybody gets anything. This church needs to be a well. This church needs to be dug deep in the rock, and the water coming out, everybody has everything they want to drink. Your life and ministry should be a well. And that's why I think it's so important here because he digs a well. You know what happens? Abimelech picture of the world. Wants to share the well with him. And he tells Abimelech (coughs) to take a hike. (coughs) He's learned some things. He's learned that when you dig a well, your ministry, you can't have any association with the world in it. And he tells Abimelech to take a hike. He's learning some things. He's learning some things. You see, From your well should come the water of life. Your life ought to be a well from which people can drink spiritually and it never go dry. Say, what's wrong with me, Bob? Tell me in one small phrase, what's wrong with me? Somebody poisoned your well. The waters are bitter today. They're not fresh. They're not sweet. It's not cleansing. It's not thirst-giving. It's bitter. It's wormwood. Somebody in the world got into your little life, and you know what they did? You who once was a bubbling, fresh well, you know what they did? They poisoned your water. That's what's happened to you. His people would drink from this well forever. Forever. In John chapter 4, you have the famous woman at the well. Remember her? And it tells you right there that they're drinking at Jacob's well. And she says, Our fathers have drunk here. This is Jacob's well. Our fathers have drunk here. For 1900 years, they drank out of that well. Wells last forever when you dig them deep enough. And well water comes out of the rock. Picture the Word of God. Living water, your ministry, your ministry. Then chapter 22, wow, what a chapter. In chapter 22, <clears throat> Abraham has now come to the place where he's really everything that, everything that, that he, he's there now. We've watched this man's life from where he could not trust God for anything. <clears throat> when he left the Ur of Chaldees, he had to bring his gold his silver and his cattle and lot with him. To a man now that is ready to go anywhere God wants him to go, God's changed his name. We've watched the process almost chapter by chapter, and I've given you an incredible outline. Now we come to chapter 22, where we couldn't trust God to come out of Ur of Chaldees without bringing everybody with him. Now, if you study the passage, God calls him to go to Mount Moriah, the land of Moriah. Now, I don't know how much you know about the Bible, but Moriah, the land of Moriah, that's where Jesus Christ was crucified. Mount Moriah. That's Calvary. And here we learn the process that now he understands what giving sacrificially means. We saw with the tithe. We saw with the offering. Now we understand that he's understood what sacrificial giving is. Sacrificial giving is defined in Second Samuel chapter twenty-four, verse twenty-four. You've heard me say it many, many times. Where where, where uh, uh, David wants to buy the threshing floor to make, put an offering or put a sacrifice, and the guy who owns it says, "You go ahead and take it." David says, "No, I want to buy it." He says, "No, please take it." He said, "You don't understand. I got to buy it." The guy says, "Please, David, take it." He says, "Look, I want to make a sacrifice to God, and if I'm going to make a sacrifice, it has to cost me something. Foreign to us, isn't it?" foreign to us. He'd waited so long for that boy. And now God tells him, and I want you to read it, not now, but read it the rest it maybe sometime today or tomorrow when you get a chance. But I want you to read that. This time, God tells him to go to the land of Moriah. He takes that boy. People go with him. But when he comes to the point that he's got to go to the place where he's going to offer his son as a sacrifice, I want you to notice He leaves everybody behind because he's come to the place in his life now that the real place of sacrifice has to be just you and God. Nobody else comes. And you know the story. He waited for that boy. (coughs) He longed for that boy. That boy was the apple of his eye and now God says, I want you to take your son and I want you to put him on an altar and I want you to offer him up as a sacrifice to me. People think, well, that's a pretty wicked thing. Yeah, you probably would think that when you have lost sight. If God asked, did that for his son, what's wrong with him asking you to do that for your son? You think you're something special? I mean, he didn't ask Abraham to do anything that he didn't do to his own son, <clears throat> and yet he didn't let Abraham do it, did he? All oh, the parallels. Isaac carries the one on his back, just like Christ carried a cross on his back. You have the fire, God's judgment, the knife, the Word of God. <clears throat> and I love it because the young boy looks up and he says, Daddy, here's the altar and here's everything we need. There's the fire, there's a the knife. But he says, Daddy, where's the lamb? And you know what Abraham says? Abraham had learned to see what nobody else could see. And he said to that young boy, don't worry, son, God will provide himself a lamb. Somebody says, yeah, he did, a couple verses later. No, 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 you better read it. That was a ram. See how the Lord did that thing? Because he didn't want you to think that when he said God was going to provide himself a lamb, he was talking about the animal in that same chapter. The animal in that chapter wasn't a lamb. The animal in that chapter was a ram. The lamb that he's talking about was the sinless son of God for which was going to come through Isaac's seed that was going to become the salvation and the sacrifice for all people. You see, he'd come to the place that he learned that a sacrifice had to cost you something was by faith. Here's a man who couldn't trust God for anything, and now he's laying his son on the altar, and he took that knife and put it up. And if God wouldn't have come down and stopped his hand, I believe with everything that's in me, he'd have plunged that knife. Why? Because he had learned to trust God through everything in his life, through a process. And a journey. First time you find the word love in the Bible. Found in chapter 22. God always tries us, ladies and gentlemen. You might as well know this. God always tries us with what we really love the most. Because God is a jealous God and he will not take second place in your life and my life. And God wants everything you have And without faith, it's impossible to please him, and whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And Abraham passed the test. God started a process in his life the day God called him out, just like God started a process in your life and my life the day God called us out. He struggles, he fails, but he grows he grows in faith in his relationship with God. He grows in faith of understanding everything that he has, God has given him, and he grows in his faith in the fact of his attitude toward other people. And now the gold, silver, and the cattle mean nothing to him anymore. It's only God's plan through his son. And now he's God's friend by faith to trust God in every aspect of his life. You know, I've learned this. And if you don't hear nothing else I've said today, hear this. We all make mistakes in life, just like everybody in the Bible made mistakes. I've seen God's hand come down in people's lives, in my own life, and people's lives. I've seen God's hand come down in people's lives in the Bible. But you know what really matters? The only thing that really matters is what God says about you at the end of the day when it's all said and done it's all over. That's all that matters. We get so caught up in the mistakes that we make or somebody else make or the sin people get into. And I realize that some people want to continue in sin and that's just the way it is. But everybody, every good person makes mistakes. Just because a good person makes a bad mistake doesn't make them a bad person. But in the process of going through life, we learn and we understand that it's not about What it's like in this life. It's about what God says about us when we die. You know, tombstones are always a great thing. I I love going to old cemeteries. When I used to work down Osawatomie, you know, there was a couple of really old cemeteries down there. Some of the Bible. But you know what really matters? The only thing that really matters is what God says about you at the end of the day when it's all said and done, it's all over. That's all that matters. We get so caught up in the mistakes that we make or somebody else make or the sin people get into. And I realize that some people want to continue in sin and that's just the way it is. But everybody, every good person makes mistakes. Just because a good person makes a bad mistake doesn't make them a bad person. But in the process of going through life, we learn and we understand that it's not about what it's like in this life. It's about what God says about us when we die. You know, tombstones are always a great thing. I I love going to old cemeteries. When I used to work down Osawatomie, you know, there was a couple of really old cemeteries down there. Some of those people were buried there in the 1600s. And I've been places, you know, Kansas City's got some great, great cemeteries. I mean if you're bored, ain't got no place to eat in them. But I mean if you are bored and you want to go I love the little things on them. I, I've seen some great things. I've got a, a little catalog at home of some of the most memorable things I've seen or people have said about somebody or a little poem on there, which I think is really good. I stood there one time and read something that some young guy must have lost his wife, and he wrote one of the most heart-touching things on there. I got it written down someplace, and then, you know, one other time I saw somebody, that I don't think they had a very good relationship. And, honest to goodness it said on there to follow it said, here lies John, or somebody's name was. Here lies whoever. To follow you I'm not content because I'm not sure which way you went. (laughs) I thought, that don't say a whole lot about that relationship, but I enjoy that. They call those epitaphs. When God writes at the end of our life, our epitaph, what will he say? Well, in James chapter 2, verse 23, he wrote Abraham's. And I can't think of a finer epitaph that you and I could have at any time in our life. He says in James chapter two verse twenty three, and the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Romans four seventeen, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom believeth even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Romans fourteen closes out like this: two aspects of faith. If right now you're a mature Christian and you have faith, then don't use it to be a stumbling block to somebody else. If you're here this morning and you don't, you're saved but you don't have enough faith to grasp everything, that's okay. That's okay. But you can't stay there. You have to get a process in your life that you begin to grow. You have to begin the process in your life that you begin to walk by faith, not by sight, and walk in the steps of faith. And whatever you do, because I'm telling you, I'm going to say this and I'm done. God will not be number two in your life. You hear me? Hear me? He will not be number two in your life and he wants to be in possession of everything you own. If he's not Lord overall, then he's not Lord at all. And he will not have a plan B for you. Learn to trust him. My whole week is spent on helping people get a plan to get that thing accomplished in their lives. God wants you to grow. He wants you to become everything that he wants you to be. Abraham is a great study. Sometime down the line on our Saturday deals, I'll take some of you young men and young ladies and I'll show you Moses. Great study of faith in the ministry. But right now, today, we just need to understand our walk with God. (laughs) Now I'm going to be praying. We'll be dismissed here in just a smack second, please. Uh, uh, ladies, get right to your draft. Ladies who are going to pick up the, uh, we're going to head right out of here and go get the meat. Be at my house at quarter to two. If I'm not there, just wait for me. I'll be there quickly, and uh, we'll get that all passed out.